All right, hello. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Bert Alcorn. So excited that you were watching uh, from a backyard, uh, from a Zoom room or Facebook or online, however you are watching. I'm so delighted that you are here. Uh, I genuinely believe uh, no matter who you are or how you're engaging with this teaching, you are here because God wants you here and he has something to say to you today. Uh, so I'm so delighted that you are here with us today um, and officially welcome to our first week of Anthem House to House. So if you're in a Zoom room or if you're in our backyard right now, a special welcome to you. I'm so excited about this new season in. Today, we're talking about suffering. All right, so open up to the book of First Peter. Uh, I'm not. I'm not actually joking. That's a real thing. Open up to First Peter. If you are new or newish with us, we've been diving into the letter that Peter, uh, one of Jesus's closest friends and disciples, writes to churches uh, and Christians that are scattered all throughout um, what is modern day Turkey or Asia Minor. And today, the few verses that we are tackling and trying to understand are all about suffering. They're all about how we suffer well, which is weird, right? Especially on a day like today, maybe I should have picked a happier topic, but I actually think it's kind of perfect for today because right now we all find ourselves in a season that we would have never picked for ourselves. Am I right? Um, And the people Peter was writing to also found themselves in situations and seasons they would have never picked for themselves. I, I mean, they're scattered Because in Acts chapter 8, the church is persecuted and they all have to bolt Jerusalem and scatter to the ends of the empire. They're scattered all throughout Asia Minor because of the persecution happening to Christians in the Roman Empire. And they found themselves displaced, uh, discouraged, and disintegrated. Christians are struggling because of the new life and lifestyle they have in Christ Jesus. This this practicing the way of Jesus is causing more tension with their non-Christian friends and family and neighbors and the culture that they live in than ever before. They seem odd. They seem um, uh, out of the box. They seem to some dangerous. Uh, and in some corners of the Roman Empire, it's not just social strain, but it's actual persecution that these Christians are facing. So as they're living as the outcasts, the oddball, and the misfits, no matter when uh, we live or where we live, it can feel discouraging to be those people in culture. And it's discouraging here for the faithful Christians that are trying to live the way of Jesus here in the letter of 1 Peter. And it can be discouraging to us who are trying to live the way of Jesus in an extremely coercive culture that we live in. And he writes to encourage these Christians that are scattered all around. And he writes to us today, starting in verse 6. That's where we're going to be today, verses 6 through 9. And so if you have your Bible, open up to 1 Peter Go to chapter one, and we're going to read six, seven, eight, and nine. And Peter writes this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Talking about Jesus. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. 
These are some of the most profound words from Peter about how we live and where we find our hope. The poet William Blake once wrote, Joy and woe are woven fine. Joy and woe are woven fine. How true is that? And yet suffering still catches us by surprise. Peter tells us to expect it. Paul tells us to expect it. James says to expect it. Jesus himself says we are promised suffering. And the poet William Blake said joy and woe are often woven fine together. And yet, how are we still so caught off guard when suffering happens to us? We're we're surprised that life is hard, that life doesn't go the way it should go. Peter writes to provide hope and encouragement to bolster them up, to encourage them to live as resilient disciples who are faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the spirit. And he does this by focusing their and our, as we are reading today, their attention on Jesus. He says, yeah, yeah, you're going to be grieved a little while by various trials, but, but look at Jesus, yeah, you, you, you're disappointed, you're persecuted, you're ostracized, your family won't talk to you, your friends won't talk to you, but look at Jesus. That's, Paul, that's Peter's solution today. And this doesn't only help us um, endure and persevere um, and, and not just complain about the situation we're in, but it actually shapes us more into the image of Jesus because of the trials we go through, not in spite of. Jesus is not looking at your life going, oh, it's a bummer they lost their job. I guess we'll try to make something good. Anyway. He's saying, no, 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 this is actually meant to shape you. Like I want to grow you into someone different because of this hard thing that happened. Because this hard thing happened, you're more, your soul is more open to the work I want to do in and through you. God will use moments of trials and sufferings to shape you, not just to endure. Yes, there is endurance and perseverance, but also to shape you. I want to ask the question, how many of you have spent the last six months of COVID and quarantine just trying to endure? How many of you have actually met with the Holy Spirit in the work he wants to do in and through you? I know, at least for me, I spent a significant time at the beginning just trying to survive and make it through. And and there was a profound difference when I embraced the work God wants to do in and through me. It changed how I viewed everything about COVID. Changed how I viewed everything about church, about my family, about my marriage. Because Jesus doesn't want you to just run down the clock on life or hard things, but actually use them to become more like himself. On top of all of that, the life we now live is preparation for our eternal life in the kingdom where we live out our deepest desires and are rewarded forever for faithfulness in this life. So how we are processing and practicing life here now prepares us for the life to come. And that idea is a uniquely Christian perspective. That we can have hope in Jesus, that somehow the life we're living here doesn't just end when we die, but is actually preparing us for something different. That is a uniquely Christian perspective, that we are not just living for this life, but for the life to come. 
And that all of life is preparation and practice for the next life. This worldview helps us find purpose and peace amidst trials and sufferings. Play this out. If you live just for this life alone, then every hard thing that happens and put, is put in the perspective of your 80, 90, 100 years on this earth. And so everything feels overblown. Everything feels like tragic and world-ending. But if you know you got these 80, 90, 100 years plus eternal life with Jesus, suddenly the trials we face here aren't that big of a deal. Because in light of eternity, they're this big. But if you're living for just this life now, your problems are this big. They occupy maybe days, months, and weeks, and that is a significant portion of your fixed time here on earth. But if we factor in our eternal life with Jesus, suddenly our problems look about that big. Peter reminds us that our hope and our joy are not tied to the roller coaster of this life, of our circumstances, of our emotions, but rather on steady and dependable things. This secure, gracious relationship we have on God that is with us now and forever. And so Peter, more than the other New Testament writers, it seems, hones in on this idea of joy being found anywhere and everywhere, especially in times of suffering. Even the bad stuff in life. This is also a uniquely Jesus-shaped perspective. That that when suffering comes, when trial comes, somehow this is an opportunity for more joy. That is a uniquely Jesus-shaped perspective. If your hope is in the things of this world, then you should lose hope when those things let you down. But not for the Christian, because if your hope is in Jesus and the things of this world let you down, you just thought, that's that's how it's supposed to happen. Because this is not where my hope is found. My hope is found in Jesus. And he's secure and steady and faithful. That's why Peter says, in this you rejoice. What is he saying? In this you rejoice. What is this? This this is living hope. It's where we were last week. It's verses 3, 4, and 5 where Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into what? A living hope, not a dead one, not one that falls away here, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you and for me. And it's being protected by God's power, kept in heaven for us. And it was the same belief That we can have joy, not only no matter the circumstance, but especially in times of suffering. It's the same belief that God is at work in the hard stuff of life that enabled Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous pastor during the time of Nazi Germany, to write the final stanza of his poem titled New Year 1945. And it goes like this. Should it be ours to drink of the cup of grieving, even to the dregs of pain at thy command, we will not falter, thankfully receiving all that is given by thy loving hand. Now, this was written three months and nine days before he was executed by Hitler at the close of World War II. This was written while in a concentration camp. 
What kind of person writes that? Well, in a concentration camp. What kind of person writes that when they know their life has an expiration date and that expiration date is coming soon? When you've been tortured? Who writes that? It's one who has not misplaced their hope. Paul reminds us this in Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says it doesn't even compare. There's no contrast. He's got suffering here, glory that is to be revealed to us. Little suffering here, glory. Doesn't even compare. Does not compare at all. And having our joy secured in this kind of living hope that Peter is talking about does not mean life is easy. Because look at what Peter continues with in verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice, this living hope, this salvation secured by the resurrection of Jesus. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Which is Peter's way of saying your life will not be easy, especially if you follow Jesus. And it's going to be a little while. This life is a little while in contrast to eternity. But we still rejoice because of the salvation we have, even though for a little while we are grieved by various trials. Peter wants us to know that for anyone who follows Jesus, trials of some size and some stripes are not just, they not just might happen, they are inevitable. Jesus promises that we will have trials and sufferings in this world. Why are we so surprised by them? But those trials, those sufferings, those storms of life that you and I are going through, they're not for nothing. They produce something in us. In fact, God uses all sorts of things to produce in us something good. And I love that line at the end of the book of Genesis, kind of reflecting on the life of Joseph, who had a very hard life, but God got the glory for it. And his life ended up being quite incredible and amazing. It makes this comment that God will use all sorts of evil. What they intended for evil, God intended for good. And Peter continues, you've been grieved by various trials. In verse seven, so that, reason, that's the reason, right? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, that is tested by fire. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, it'll be tested. God will use all sorts of trials to test the genuineness of your faith. Um, there's some stats by a research and polling company, survey company called Barna, and they research all sorts of things around the Christian faith and culture and engagement. And uh, a, a few months ago, uh, this was about May, uh, they, they were doing some polls and talking, about, and talking to practicing Christians and their kind of church habits. And at the end of all their surveys, they reported back that one-third, one-third of Christians who went to church before COVID are either gone or not coming back. And half of all millennials are either gone or not coming back. Every single church has shrunk in this season. The ones who haven't are just picking up other Christians from other churches. These various trials of 2020 is sure testing the genuineness 
of the Christian faith in America. It's exposing cultural Christianity for what it is. Nothing. An activity to do on Sunday. Maybe a group of people who think like you, dress like you, and like you, and hang out with you. But nothing more. Because if we can't handle six months of sitting at home, what kind of test? How, how does that even compare to persecuted brothers and sisters around the world? In a, in a weird way, I think God is, has kind of given us what we've been asking for. He says, you don't like like when people try to call you out on your stuff? You don't like when people try to invade your life with encouragement and, and growth? I'm going to give you social distancing. Fine. You want social distancing? You got social distancing. You, you, you're trapped and you're hooked with the addiction of this screen in front of you? Cool, you're just going to do church and sit at home and look at church on your screen. God, God is just giving us what we've been asking for with our lives and it is testing the genuineness of our faith and the results are not pretty. But there's hope because Peter doesn't say, and... This is it. We're all done. Oh, well, let's pack it up. No, no, no. He says, actually, the testing of the genuineness of your faith is going to be refined. So the question we ask is, how do we respond to hardships, to, to trials, to these storms of life? Because this, this faith, this faith in Jesus, if it's genuine, it perseveres. And in the midst of these various trials, they actually come out stronger. What Peter's communicating to us right now, he's like, yeah, yeah, there's going to be trials and it's going to separate those from who don't have a genuine faith. But those who do have a genuine faith, when they go through these trials, it's going to be refined, it's going to be more pure, and it's going to be more holy, and it's going to be better and stronger and flourishing and thriving. This faith, like gold, not only survives the refining process, if it's genuine, but it actually comes out better, stronger, and healthier comes out resilient. Look what James says as he opens his letter. James says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. It's the same thing. That makes no sense, but it's the upside down kingdom. Why would we find joy in trials? And he says, for the, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The same idea. Testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Now, these refining fires, these trials, in the refining process have a way of, I'll try to say this kindly, burning off the fat, the, the extras, the clingers on. A great example is, is, I would say, the church or our church, right? COVID is a bit of a refining fire for the church. It's burning off old things, maybe ways of thinking, programs, ways that we thought we had to do one thing or another. And it's refining the church to come out more pure. Now, I want to be careful not to speak about any other church. I'll say for our church... COVID has been a refining process where it's removing things that maybe needed to go and what's left is pure. Now, I'm going to get weird. I'm going to get transparent with you. I actually have no way of verifying this, but I think our church has shrunk in half in this season. It's 
probably not a good thing I should be telling, like, welcome to Anthem Church, we've shrunk. Um, but there might have been a time where I was discouraged about that. And reading these verses is actually wildly encouraging because what God is doing is refining his bride and it's coming out more pure and beautiful and resilient and stronger. And those who are saying, yes, I'm in for the hard version of church will grow from it. And I think our church will look a bit more like Jesus wants us to look because of it. Look again at verse seven. This tested genuous of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the honor and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's saying that God's blessings outweigh our burdens. God's blessings outweigh the world's burdens. You guys need to hear that. God's blessings outweigh the world's burdens. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that this testing, the hard stuff, the refining process results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus? Do we believe that God's blessings outweigh the world's burdens? Paul, who echoes this same idea in Romans chapter five, says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And this is what he says about hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Look at that progression. Suffering leads to endurance that leads to character that leads to hope. Suffering, this this perseverance, this resilience, like in the midst of all these trials, we, we have endurance. So suffering creates endurance. It's a resilience. It is, it is not just surviving a season, but coming out of it stronger. And that produces characters so of sanctification or becoming more like Jesus. And that produces hope, this living hope and the resurrection that we have, this inheritance, this undefiled, unfading and, unper- and imperishable, and is kept in heaven for us, and hope does not let us down. Why? Because God loves us. He's steadfast, he is faithful, and hope does not let us down because God loves you. And if we hope in him, it's his love coming through to sustain us in the midst of suffering that builds endurance, that builds character, that elevates our hope. Here's the reality. Our willingness as Christians to endure earthly affliction says a lot about our trust in God. Without a deep and abiding trust in God, in God's words, in scripture, we'll try to flee any trial that comes our way at all costs. We will escape discomfort and pain at all costs. When we do that, we actually miss out on the very lessons that God has. Does that mean we go looking for trouble? Absolutely not. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. But when suffering or afflictions or trials come, when we escape them, we miss what God wants to do through them. We miss it. When we just try to like put it under. Just um, 
The other day, Sherry and I were getting into a tiff, if you will, and we were sitting down with one of our mentors, uh, who's like our informal marriage counselor, and uh, he says, you know, if you if you keep brushing this under the rug, if you don't actually talk about the real thing, you're talking about surfacey things, if you don't actually talk about the real thing, you're not going to grow from this, and you're just going to keep repeating it. How, how true is that of, of us? That when we are just dealing with the surface things, when we're just trying to avoid pain, avoid suffering, avoid discomfort, you miss out on the, on the lessons God's trying to teach you. And so you have Christians who are 20, 30, 40 years old that are one-year-old Christians because they do not learn the lessons God wants to teach us. This was my fear early on in COVID uh, back in um, June. There was this moment where we thought things were starting to open up a little bit and um, you know, I know this because Sherry and I went to eat in a restaurant inside, and uh, that was quite fun. And then that privilege was taken away quickly thereafter. But there's this moment, in, at least in Southern California, where we thought, okay, we're maybe coming around this. And I told Sherry, I said, Sherry, I know this is going to make you upset, but um, uh, I, I don't think we've learned the lessons God wants to teach us through this yet. It's too soon. It's too soon. Because two, three months is enough time for all of us to collectively hold our breath and just go back to normal when it's done. Things kind of come crashing down in March. We all buckle in in April and May. We're all in this together, right? Ventura Strong, whatever, like we got this. And then June comes around and things start to open up and we can all just go, okay, good. We can finally get back to life as normal. My fear, don't blame me for making this go on longer. I just said my fear was that we haven't learned the lessons God wants to teach us yet because we're too busy just trying to survive and escape discomfort. Now, God and his providence has allowed this to continue on. And I think we're in a spot, at least our church, to learn the lessons God's trying to teach us about resiliency, about suffering, about community, about relationships, about commitment. This is a really interesting season as a church because really today, marking today, but also like kind of this month, represents the first real commitment we have called you to in about six months. I think since we went into quarantine, it's been, how do we do online church? How do we make sure people are being cared for, supported, taking care of financial needs, taking care of tangible needs, praying for all of that. And it's all good. It's all beautiful stuff. But it's been a season where we really have not called you to a commitment. And we've said, yeah, continue engaging with your community group, but like lots of latitude and grace for how hard life can be in the season. And And now that there's a bar of commitment to say, this is where we believe God is taking us, and this is where we believe God is taking us as a church, and this is what we believe church looks like in this season, I'm I'm astounded, I'm encouraged, I'm sometimes sad, but mostly excited to see how many of us are meeting that commitment and say, yes, we're all in. I don't know how I got there. Moving on. The great London preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he used to say this, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. How good is that, guys? So gracious, little faith will take your soul to heaven. Just the faith of a mustard seed. But great faith will bring heaven to your soul. It's not enough that we long for heaven in times of of suffering. Um, Anybody can do that. And that's not bad, but it is a bit of escapism, right? If we're being honest. What Peter's urging uh, us and his readers to do was to exercise love and faith 
and, and rejoice in the midst of circumstances so you would experience some of the glory of heaven here and now in the midst of your trial and suffering. Look what he says in verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's been said that inexpressible joy is the handmaiden to suffering, that these two go together, where like the poet said, joy and woe are woven fine. Why? Why why is that? To the Christian, inexpressible joy and suffering are, are woven together. Why is that? Well, it's because what Peter tells us, that suffering actually produces something in us. It, it matures us. It reminds us where our hope should be found. Suffering produces character and hope in us. It produces character that in the midst of suffering, we're actually formed into the likeness of Jesus. God doesn't waste a thing to make us more like his son, Jesus. He uses it all. He scoops up the garbage parts of your life and the good parts of your life to make you more like Jesus here and now and forever into eternity. And suffering is the means by which the quality of Christian's faith can outshine, to to shine all the more. Like, how easy is it to joyfully follow Jesus when things are really good? Anybody can do that. It's like when Jesus said, how easy is it to invite a friend over who's invited you over for dinner? That's, that's really not the way of Christ. Anyone can do that. You don't need Jesus' transformative love and grace and mercy to do that. You don't need the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to do that. But when it happens through suffering and our faith shines through suffering, that takes the Holy Spirit. That's what requires the resurrection power of Jesus is that when life gets hard, that's when our joy kicks into high gear. Bring on the suffering. I want to worship more. That's what the Christian posture is. And it produces in us hope. We have set our eyes on Jesus and the inheritance he promises. And that's unchanging. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's imperishable. It's not going away. One of the things that's being exposed right now is Christians, I'll say, in the West or specifically in America, because the West is fairly fractured now, um, we have a weak view and understanding of suffering. And when we suffer, we think maybe God's punishing us, uh, or we disobeyed or did something wrong, or that God's actually providence is not for us, that God's not for us, he doesn't have a plan for us, that he's abandoned us, he's forgotten us. Uh, We think it's punitive or we think it's abandonment, right? And that's a weak view of suffering. So we don't know how to suffer because when we suffer, we think God's abandoned us or is punishing us for something. So we don't know how to go through these storms of life, these trials, these fires. So we get all mixed up and we think that inconvenience is actually suffering. And so we say, well, if suffering is God abandoning me or punishing me, and then anything that doesn't go right in my life is God abandoning me or punishing me. And so we get all mixed up and we think just inconvenience is suffering. Inconvenience is persecution. I've said this to you before, um, that for those accustomed to privilege, which if you live in Southern California, that's all of us, for those accustomed to privilege, inconvenience feels like oppression and equality 
feels like persecution because something is being taken away from you. There's something inconvenient about life. Then what happens? For those of us who are accustomed to privilege, and when inconvenience feels like oppression and equality feels like persecution, then what happens? We don't grow in character. We resist. We fight for our rights. We don't grow in character. We don't grow in hope. We don't grow in character becoming like Jesus. Our hope is all misplaced and we're not actually with Jesus. And we can't possibly be a credible witness to an unbelieving world. We can't do what Jesus did. So, how can we change? How can we not fall into that trap of thinking inconvenience is suffering and seeing suffering as punishment from God or abandonment from God? How do we actually change? Well, it's a couple of different things. And if you're a note-taking kind of person, write these, write these down. These are helpful. I'm sorry there's not a slide for them, but you can write them down. And the first, how we change, is embrace suffering, trials, and storms as opportunities. I used to work at Apple, and um, you could never say there was a problem at Apple. There were always opportunities, right? Which is silly and kind of cliche, but, but how true actually is that? For the Christian, every problem is an opportunity. Every trial, every moment of suffering is an opportunity to grow in the work God wants to do in and through you. Embrace suffering, trials, and storms of life as opportunities to grow by partnering with the Spirit in the work He wants to do in and through you. So I want this like to be a Pavlov's Dodd situation. So like, okay, shoot, I, I had a fight with my spouse. What is the work God wants to do in and through me in this moment? I, I, my boss yelled at me in front of everybody at work today. Okay, what's the work God wants to do in and through me? I lost my job. I'm furloughed. What's the work God wants to do in and through me? I can't go to my favorite restaurant or whatever. What's the work God wants to do in and through me? We can't gather in person in a building. What's the work God wants to do in and through me? Every time there's suffering, every time there's trial, embrace it. Give it a big hug because you know you're about to grow. What if we actually did that as a church? What if every time something got hard, complicated, frustrating, what happens when things didn't go your way and we gave it a big old hug and say, yes, we are about to grow. We're going to become more like Jesus. I'm going to partner with the Spirit and the work He wants to do in and through me. I smell, I smell suffering. I smell growth. What if? What if we changed our minds? Suffering is not God punishing you. It's not him abandoning you. They are refining fires. Do you want to come out better? Do you want to come out of this stronger? Do you want to come out more pure? Give suffering a big hug. I should say for us in Southern California, give all that inconvenience a big hug. I don't know if we've actually truly suffered. through it. Maybe some of you have. If I don't want to downplay actual suffering that has happened. I see the vast majority of us have in, been inconvenienced quite a bit. Give it a big hug because God wants to do something in you and through you. Second way we change, first is embrace suffering. Second is actively place your hope in Jesus, not the things of this world. You do that by being with him. Are you walking in our community rule of life? Are you, are you integrating practices in your life that, that 
bring Jesus, bring yourself closer to Jesus. That increases your awareness of and connection to the Spirit in the everyday. Actively place your hope in Jesus, not to your ability to buy a house, not for your next promotion, not in your spouse, not in your kids, in Jesus. And third, remember and thank Jesus for his suffering and sacrifice for you so you can have life. We worship a suffering servant. Remember his actual suffering in contrast to our actual inconvenience. Remember his suffering and sacrifice for you so that you can have the kind of life that stares trials down the eye and say, I'm gonna grow. I'm gonna become more like Jesus through this moment because my hope is in him. He's gone before me and his resurrection power lives in me so we can change. We don't have to look at suffering the same way the world does. Let me pray for you. Jesus, the kind of life that's described here in 1 Peter is impossible apart from the work of your spirit. So we first and foremost thank you that you said it's better that I go so I can send your spirit. Thank you that the same spirit that raised you from the dead lives in us. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is active and working in our lives to not only point us back to yourself, but to change us to become more like you here and now. Jesus, as we embark on this kind of life as a church, as a community together, we ask for your grace in this journey. We ask that you would use every part of our lives to help us grow in maturity, to become more like you. And we we ask that as we attempt to partner with you in this kind of life, that it would actually be a witness to an unbelieving world, that they would see the kind of hope and joy we have amidst suffering and find that compelling and find it insatiable and actually draw them in. Help us love one another really well in times of suffering, trials, and inconvenience. Because Jesus, you've said when we love each other really well, the world takes notice and knows who you are. Help us put you on display with our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.